Welcome to the Crash the Pond podcast. It is a Monday, January 10th edition of the pod. Jake, how is 2022 treating you so far? You know, I can't complain. It's been good so far. It's been been really, really good. And we had some fun Ducks hockey this past week. The Ducks yeah. actually got guys back from the COVID list, which was nice. And there were a bunch of debuts. And you know what, Felix? The greatest gift of all happened today. Oh, Derek Grant was added to the Ducks roster, which means he's probably off COVID protocol. Oh, I didn't even see that. Well, good for him. I mean, I'm I'm happy for for people. I am too. I am too. When they're done with COVID, like it's it's a good thing. We we should cherish it. Correct. Correct. Um, 100%. It was more so just the funny aspect of uh, how much we harp on him that you know, back back available for the Ducks. Yeah. Shout, shout out to Derek Grant for for being healthy. Um. Yeah, last last time we recorded, I I really threw you off with uh with my question about the new year. So I, I figured I'd I'd, I'd tee it up a little better for ah, you this time. Ah, thanks, thanks. You know, you know, I think it's I think it's worth noting that you you hit it out of the park. You oh, really did. Perfect, perfect. I came in with some news, also. You know. Yeah, yeah. You you really you really hit the nice uh, the nice fine line of mixing in news with with some some personal notes. That's that's what we want here. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, well, so for everybody that's listening on today's show, what we're going to discuss. So the last week of games, like Jake said, there's been a lot of fun hockey. Unfortunately, a lot of COVID news that we're just going to blitz through. Some really exciting Ducks debuts. We got to see some prospects within this farm system that we've been talking about for what feels like an eternity now. And we actually got to see them in real NHL games. We got some Dallas Akins, Trevor Zegris drama to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. And then of course your usual rumor mill that we'll get to with the ducks GM search and some trade rumors. So where do you want to start? I mean, there's, I, there's a lot to cover here. I think we start kind of where the week almost felt. It, I mean, I guess it feels like it started last week, which was with the ducks GM search. I think that broke maybe last Tuesday. Is that right? Last Tuesday or Friday. I remember I was working from home. So it was one of those two days last yeah. week. Um, but it was announced that the Ducks, uh, I believe it was by Pierre Lebrun, put out there that the Ducks have uh, put together a committee to search for their new GM. And it consists of, uh, what is it, Aaron Teets, Michael Schulman, uh, who are both kind of front office men for the Ducks currently, probably more so on the uh, HR side of this. I think you and I bo- would both agree with that. And then the much bigger news was that Paul Curry and Scott Niedermeyer are part of the committee along with the Samuelis. And so... I think from the fan perspective, I, I think having Paul Korea back with the Ducks and supposedly what I had heard on some various different podcasts was that the Ducks really wanted to get Korea back into the fold and they really want him to be a member of the organization, do something with them, kind of be involved in hockey. And this felt like a first step for that. And so from a fan perspective, I'm so happy to see Paul Korea back in the game. He's a guy that played the game in a uh, very forward-thinking way, a way that was kind of really way ahead of its time. Um, And in a way that, I mean, is kind of like it is right now. I mean, like I said, it's way way ahead of his time. And so he's also a thinker. And I think that if you're looking for someone that you can model the game off of, someone that, I mean, really was the most dynamic player the Ducks had uh, prior to Trevor Zegras. I mean, Ryan Getzloff is fantastic, but plays a very different style of game. Isn't as dynamic as an uh, offensive player. He's more of a playmaker, a guy that uses his body more of a physical uh, presence. And so if you want a guy that understands kind of how Trevor Zegers plays and what needs to be built around him to be as part of your search committee, I think having Paul Korea is a really great option. 
Yeah. Yeah. Let's go with that. Let, 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 let's go with the rosy, the rosy uh, approach. I'm going to be the rosy approach for this. Felix is going to uh, throw a little uh, rain on it. Let's go with that. Well, here's my question. Yeah. Who, who on this committee is qualified to pick an NHL GM? No. And I think it's a fair question to ask. I do. <laughs> like, like legitimately, the, we, the whole thing, the whole thing with Henry and Susan Samueli is that they're hands off. Right. And they've hired a GM how many times in their Once. tenure owning the Ducks? Once. Um, and turns out that that didn't end up so well. And ultimately, ultimately. Well, well, that one didn't. That one ended up fine. Okay. Because the guy that succeed, uh, succeeded yeah. him or came in after him so, ended up not being great. I think that their hands-off nature is a double-edged sword, is what I'm trying to say. I think that there, it, it has some clear positives for the organization, and it has some very clear negatives as well. That's um, fair, but let me ask you this. And uh-huh. I guess this is kind of where I fall on this. If we're going to kind of throw a critical eye at this and say, and also I want to briefly mention, because I didn't mention him, Scott Niedermeyer, I think, also is is a bit of a forward thinker also. he I don't know if I would view him in the same way as Korea, but that's also me kind of in my fan view of everything. Um, so I, I think it's a good thing they're there to provide some guidance. I think the real question that I have is how much of a say are they going to have in this? But getting back to the, the, th- the point that I was going to make there is – what would you rather see them do? No, so it, this is so this is just like for right now I'm talking about in the context of picking a new GM. Yep. So yeah, like I'm not saying that you want them to be hands fingers in in the pot for everything, right? No, no, no. I I'm specifically talking about for finding a new GM. Oh. What well, would you rather see them do for picking a new GM for putting together a search committee? Who would you rather see them see them bring in? Because in reality, a person that they would bring in would probably be the next GM if they brought someone in as a consultant for that, right? I mean, I understand. Like, I acknowledge that this is not an easy, uh, straightforward kind of thing. Like, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not claiming to have all the no, answers. No, I, I get it. But I do think, and I guess just to give a crack at answering that question, I think that you would probably like to see someone on that committee with actual NHL managerial experience, like who's actually been a GM or who has worked in the front office on the hockey operations side, because this is a hockey operations role. Um, and yeah, sure. Niedermeyer has been someone involved in that, but not, not at that high of a level. Um, and so I think that that's, what's missing from that board is just someone who's actually really been in those trenches that has had to make those tough decisions and none of them have. And I guess that that's where I'm a little confused about this board is that you have the hands-off owners, you have Paul Correa, who's been surfing the last you know decade, um, and then you have Scott Niedermeyer, who's been more on the development side with the Ducks, and then you have two you know business side guys in Shulman and Teets. So I'm sure that they can be the sum of their parts and they can come to a, a fine decision. Like, I'm not saying that, that they're guaranteed to make a bad call here or anything like that, but I guess I'm a little, I'm a little unimpressed or not unimpressed. Maybe I'm the right, right word, but I'm not, I'm not, you don't, like, you don't view it in as much of a rosy lens as a lot of people. I, do. I just don't really see the home run element for this because I think a lot of people on we're, we're kind of painting this as, Hey, this is a slam dunk for the ducks. They really hit this one out of the park you know, good on them. You know, you saw the the blue check marks coming out and saying kudos to them for bringing Paul Korea back into the fold. And it's like, yeah, that's great. I think that that's a good thing. But at the end of the day, if the goal is to make a good decision and to bring in someone with a good thought process, 
a good thought process to get you there. I'm just a little, I guess I'm just curious where that's going to come from within this, this group. So no. And I, I get what you're saying. And, and I guess kind of, I'm just trying to provide almost provide a different perspective on this. Right. Um, who would they realistically bring in to be that person in the search committee? Because, and this is, I guess what I keep coming back to is anyone that you bring in in that spot is probably someone that wants the job. Sure. And, and, and that is the limitation, but at the same time, like, again, it's, it's one of those things where sure there might not be a perfect solution, but there's probably a slightly better arrangement. I I don't know what there is though. And I guess that's kind of where I fall in this and where you and I disagree on this is that I honestly don't know what the better arrangement is for this because I don't, I genuinely, and this is a genuine question I have. I don't know how other teams do this because GM searches, I feel like are something that are so insulated that you really only pay attention to when it's your team or the team that you're covering. And so like, for instance, when Jeff Molson hired, uh, Jeff or, uh, uh, why am I Jeff spacing? Gordon. There we go. Jeff Gordon. I am for whatever reason, struggling with names right now. Um, but, uh, did he have anyone else that he consulted with or was that just his call? And is that better? Is that worse? Is it better to bring in other voices? Would it be better for it to just be the same ULEs? Like there, there's a lot of alternate sides to this. And I think maybe the, the person that you might have wanted to see on this is maybe the, the perfect person to be part of it would be a, uh, a McNabb. Someone who had just left the organization right. and managed. That's actually role. that's actually a good suggestion. Like someone who you know has no stake in in getting back into the game, but someone who's actually been and like, you actually just made a really good suggestion. And and, there. and maybe that is someone they're asking asking questions about. And maybe from a public perspective, he's not announced. Yeah, I mean that could be that could be, but is it's just kind of odd that you wouldn't announce him. Yeah, I mean, but, but you're announcing these kind of like in the shadows business yeah. guys. Zenas so. eight w- brings us up. It's either old guys who don't really want to GM anymore, or players slash coaches who are who are young and aren't in the running to be GM. Like, here's my thing: we always harp on this show about how the NHL is, you know, with the coaching cycle oh, boys, and the yeah. GM, it's always retreads, mm-hmm. and we always harp on the fact that it's just constantly former no, players and definitely. like that, that's what this is you're bringing in two former players of course two i mean excellent players two guys who have their numbers hanging in the rafters. and i think korea in some ways isn't part of that old boys club and i think maybe that's where i view it and i mean yeah, ma- th- this I mean, is conjecture a little like there's no a actual little bit of little bit of a judgment call there and Correct. You, may be, you may be right but the the point is just that like if we're going to be somewhat consistent with how we've talked about these things in the past i think that it it like it demands at least having a little at least just pointing out that there are some flaws with how they've put this thing together. Like I just That's don't fair. I don't know who is qualified to pick a GM on this committee. I don't know who that person is. Like again, this doesn't mean that they won't do it, that they won't do a good job. We'll get into this, but like they're putting in the work, they're putting in the hours. Like I'm not doubting that. It's just on its face, if that's all the information you have, these are the six people, that's my that's my objection. To, to this committee. Yeah. And, and I think for me, where I'm at with this is I, I think we need to see what happens first with this. And maybe that's, well, sure. I mean, maybe yeah, that's like, too much of a wait and see approach, but I, I think it's one of those things where I think after the fact, we'll be able to criticize it or be complimentary of it. And we'll really kind of know, because I, I think the one thing right now is we don't necessarily know how Scott Niedermeyer and how uh, Paul Korea view the ducks or view hockey in general, honestly. Yeah, and that's that could be a good thing, could be a bad thing. Like yep. like that and I think that it's just 
it feels a little too cheap to say, you know, like we'll completely wait and see. Like I think, well, I think I th- it, I, I think it's from an emotional perspective of being happy to see these guys uh, involved in the organization that have a lineage with the team. Well, I, these, I think that's where that comes. Both from. of these things can be true. Like you can, you can be t- totally excited to see these guys back in the fold to, to be in a position where they're, I mean, a, a huge position where they're picking the next GM of this team, a position that, you know, you see guys last 15 to 20 years in those roles, um, you know, around the league. So yeah, you can be happy about that. And I think you can also be a little okay. kind of cautious, cautious about your optimism. So anyway, I think right. that, that those are my thoughts on that. Yep. And I think that that kind of puts a nail on that part of it. But now getting to the other part that came out, I believe it was today on the 32 Thoughts podcast. Uh, Elliot Friedman had mentioned, first off, that uh, the um, Mark Bergevin has been hired by the LA Kings uh, in an executive or uh, senior advisory role, I believe is the actual term. And there is a potential for him to have an assistant GM role moving forward with him in the next couple seasons as an extension. But it's a way for him to keep his feet wet while he is uh, uh, wanting to get back into the game and as a GM role and is specifically eyeing the Anaheim job. No word whether or not the Ducks are actually on interested in Mark Bergevin. I would assume they are probably going to be interviewing him, but it sounds like he's interested. So first off, before we kind of get into to other aspects of this, you're someone that knows Mark Bergevin better than kind of, I think, anyone in the Ducks fan base. You want to give everyone a lowdown on Mark Bergevin and why or why not he should be the G- next GM of the Ducks? Yeah, so last week when I was on TSN 690, the, the Montreal uh, radio channel for the Canadians, uh, I, they asked me about that and <laughs> I had to be very careful with my wording because I didn't want to just complete, cause there's always going to be two sides to that, to that debate of mm-hmm. the pro Bergevin crowd. And I will say this, Mark Bergevin, if you look at his tenure in Montreal, it's basically a tale of two tenures, almost like the first half was a nightmare. It was a total shit show. Like the, the team was totally mismanaged. So many failed draft picks. Uh, one of the worst drafting records in in the recent NHL history. And then as the years progressed, I think he over time found a way to overcome the mess that he had created. And the Canadians got to a point where they, I mean, they made this Stanley Cup final. They were a competitive team, albeit with some pretty awful regular seasons along the way. It was just always a hodgepodge. It was always a, a mix of good and bad. And it always felt like Bergevin was just, covering up for mistakes that he himself had created situations familiar. Yeah, exactly. Like very reminiscent of Bob Murray, just kind of like one step forward, two steps back all the time. And it just no consistency whatsoever. And so there's, there's this large contingent of people that will point to, Oh, look at all these trades that Mark Bergevin won. And it's like, it's the same thing with Bob Murray, right? Like look at him winning these deals, but look at the bigger picture, like what actually happened. And never was able to get over that hump, never was able to really get a franchise player up front. So for the Ducks, I don't really I don't really see it. I think that they do need a guy who's not afraid to make a deal. I, I think that that was a shortcoming of Bob Murray later in his tenure is that he just sat on his hands. He stood pat far too often. And, and I think that that has slowed down the Ducks rebuild. We know this about Mark Bergevin, not afraid to make a deal, mm-hmm. but... I think that that is both a good thing and often a bad thing for him. So for me, from a Ducks perspective, 
with all the things that are going right for this franchise right now, I don't really know if Mark Bergevin and the way that he views the game and how he wants his teams to be teams that are built to get through the playoffs and not get, get to the playoffs. Like it's just all these weird buzzwords. I just don't know if he's the right fit. I don't know if he has the kind of vision that really works in, in the modern day game. And yeah, he's had some success along the way. Um, but I think it's kind of been despite his own moves. So there, there's your little take on Mark Bergevin. Yep. And I'm just going to kind of leave that at that. Cause I really don't have a whole lot to add to it. I'm well, letting... I'm guessing you wouldn't be open to him being the next GM no. of the Anaheim ducks. No, I would not. I, okay. here's the thing. So here's the, the next part of this is that this was reported by Friedman that he had heard this, but he could not get actual official confirmation on it, but he has heard that the ducks are the team uh, that are talking to the most people. They are casting a very wide net. They are uh, leaving no turned or no stone unturned, I, I guess would be a way to put it. And so I think that in that sense, talking to Bergevin's fine if you're basically just going out there and t- talking to all available candidates. And I think from the perspective of at least doing that is a or doing that is a good thing for this team and a good sign, because I think no matter what the you want them to at least be open to hearing other ideas even if for whatever reason they're dead sudden old school guy like bergevin which would suck i wouldn't be happy with at least they are listening to other people and they are getting these ideas in their head and having other people present different views of hockey and different ways to see it and so even if they are dead set on getting an old school traditional guy at least they're listening to more new new school guys by the sounds of it and i think that that is a very good thing uh for this franchise and hopefully that is not the case and they are listening and they are potentially going to hire a more new school type of guy yeah and did you mention the part how the 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 in-house guys have legitimate shots as well uh no i had not said that yet so yeah so friedman also said that yes the the in-house guys do have a legitimate shot at getting this uh this position and he even mentioned the kind of what we've been saying is that um jeff solomon was brought in over summer he clearly had a plan that owner and was brought in to reorganize and modernize the ducks franchise and ownership was clearly on board with that. And so why wouldn't that guy get a look if he was brought on recently to do that? Yeah. And I do think it's interesting. This is something I wasn't aware of that uh, Martin Madden turned down the first round of interviews for the Canadians. So I oh, guess I didn't he, know that. I guess he was asked uh, for the first round of, of remote interviews and, and turned it down. Yeah. This is the scuttlebutt I picked up in my Montreal radio hit, but Yeah, I I think that, look, the wide net thing is like, that's what you want, right? I I don't, this is not the time to start cutting down the list. Like, you start start wide and you narrow down. Like, I don't, I don't know if there's anything to object to there. Like, that's what you want to see. Yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'm spacing on his name. I brought it up before, (laughs) but there's the 32 thoughts, uh, podcast that they did with, uh, I can't remember his name, but he's the consulting guy from the UK that I believe the, the Blackhawks have actually now consulted with that is more so uh, about remanaging re restructuring your entire team. And he said, the one thing that he gives, uh, ownership advice on every time is that you have more time than you think that you don't need to rush into this decision, that your best asset, your most valuable asset right now is time. Yeah. And to take your time and not rush into thing. And he even said, like, listen to all different sides. 
cast a wide net, hear different things. Basically kind of what I was just saying that even if you're dead set on a specific type of guy, you may hear something from someone else that, that makes you think. And even if you don't hire them, it can in- introduce new ideas into your organization. Yeah. And, and so I think for this Ducks GM search, what's going to be really interesting to me when the dust settles is, are they going to have hired someone in-house or someone from out from the outside? And I was sharing this with you last week, but talking to someone who was working for the Ducks the last few years, this is this is not me saying this. This is what I was told that all the good things that have happened for the Ducks the last you know ten years can be traced back to two people, Dave McNabb and Martin Madden. And apparently, Martin Madden is a lot more open to analytics and a lot more curious about them than maybe we understood <laughs> uh, not too long ago. And so. Of course, you got to take that for what it is, but I do find it kind of interesting that Martin Madden, look, you look at you look at the last few games for the Ducks and the reason that they're managing to hang on in part with all the COVID issues is because of of the organizational depth that they've gotten through the draft. And if he's a guy who actually does value looking at analytics in a way that other GMs say that they do, then he becomes a lot more of an appealing candidate to me. And yeah, he's a little bit of, I mean, he's he's completely unproven, but that's also kind of what you want. So maybe I'm going back on what I've said about him in the past. But I guess the one thing that's kind of interesting to me in all of this is that the Ducks are clearly, it seems like they're not going to do the president of hockey ops route. Like this is just purely going to be a G. I don't know, honestly. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if there's ever been confirmation that they will or won't do it. I, I think they, it's just been approached as a GM search, but <clears throat> I don't know if they, I don't, I think on 32 thoughts last week, they said there it's unclear if they're going to go that, that route or not. Yeah. I mean, to me, I think that that's the ideal situation because you talked about time being an asset. And I think nowadays GMs have so much to do. They have so many different tasks that they didn't have to do in the past. And it makes sense to try to divvy up those responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And so to me, what I would love to see, just because I, I believe strongly in both of these guys, would be a, a Solomon Madden tandem, right? One mm-hmm. as president of hockey ops, one as GM, right? However you want to delineate that. But one guy who's more the eye for talent and one guy who's clearly experienced just kind of running the day-to-day of the well, franchise. I mean, you could have both of them. I mean, I don't know if any team's ever done this, but have them be co-GMs and have a president of hockey ops over them and hire like a Mike Gillis to be president of hockey ops. Yeah. I like, mean, they're, they're essentially AGMs with more power. Cause the, yeah. Cause the way I see it, like I think that both Solomon and Madden have really obvious skill sets. Like they have really elite attributes as front office members, like Madden as an evaluator, Solomon as just, I guess, a manager of the salary cap transactions, contracts, and like you need those things. You want to keep both of those things. And I just, you want to elevate those guys, but you also can't, I guess maybe you can make them both GM. It's interesting. Like I think the big takeaway for me from all of this is that the Ducks are in a good position as long as they kind of play this right. Like I think that they have an opportunity here to really set up their front office for the next decade plus and be yeah. one of the, and be one of the I better mean, decision this is, makers. This is one of the most influential decisions the Ducks are, are going to have to make in, in for the next decade probably. Like this is the hire that they have to hit because here's the thing. The Ducks are entering their contending window next year or two. Like yep. this is massive. Like this is a guy that is going to shape the Ducks contending window. Like this yeah. is a huge deal. 
Yeah. And for that same, uh, on that same kind of point, it makes the Ducks job very uh, appetizing, I think, to a lot of people out there. And I think that if there's a guy that's very set in his role as an AGM, I'm uh-huh. thinking like an Eric Tulski, a guy that I keep coming back to just because he is a more forward-thinking guy, analytics-heavy guy. I think the Ducks are a team that could be very enticing for someone like that to leave their kind of more cushy AGM position to take a risk and become GM because the Ducks are set up so well. Yeah, I mean, the Ducks have they kind of have all the components right now of a team that's about to take a big, big step forward, right? You have the elite young talent, you have the cap flexibility, and you don't really, I mean, I guess this goes into cap flexibility, but you don't really have any bad contracts. You have some deals that you're tied up to for the next few years, but nothing that's extremely prohibitive. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we we there's still a ton that we don't know about this, but I think it's looking positive. Yes. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So kind of now that we said that want to move on to actually some on ice talk. Sure. So where do you want to start? Well, I think we should just get like just quickly blaze through the COVID stuff. I, I, I think that it's, it's worth mentioning that almost, I think everyone is back except Sam Carrick. Is that correct? Uh, Lindholm's not either. Okay, so yeah, Hampus Lindholm and Sam Carrick, but Derek Grant is back. Nick Delorie is back. Ryan Getzlaff is back. I think Trevor, I saw Vinny Letary was sent down to the goals. Trevor Zegras is back. Yeah, so, and you know, a lot of these guys, according to Dallas Aikens at least, were not displaying, you know, huge symptoms. Some were asymptomatic. Um, it sounds like reportedly the only, oh, and John Gibson is in code protocol. Yeah, um, there you go. The only guy that's really had really bad symptoms is Sam Carrick, and that sucks. Like that's yeah. kind of the that's kind of the thing that's hard about this is that, yeah, it's great that these guys who are testing positive are not, you know, getting really ill, but at the same time, just because it's only one guy, that's still one guy too many in my book, right? Like you you don't yeah. want it. You don't want to see great athletes having to deal with a preventable, you know, virus. Yeah, <laughs> um, and so it's kind of like it's kind of like a double-edged sword where, yeah, it's, it's nice to hear, but we shouldn't act like this is, you know, some big win. It's more of, it's, it's more of, it's fortunate, but I wouldn't rest your laurels on that. If that makes sense or rest on your laurels with that. that yeah. Sense. I mean, I mean, this is, I, I think Sam Carrick getting a, in a being in rough shape kind of shows why guys are having to isolate because of how quickly it spreads. So there aren't more players like Sam Carrick, uh, on the team. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, good news overall that guys are getting back. Hopefully Sam Carrick can get over it. And hopefully, I mean, fingers crossed and knock on wood for him that there are no side effects, lingering effects for him that limit yeah. him. Because here's the real bummer for Sam Carrick. He's having an absolutely outstanding season. Like, he mm-hmm. has been fantastic for the Ducks. I think, what was it? You put him in our, by the way, really fun article on Crash the Pond with midseason uh, grades. Or yeah. not grades, but uh, picks it was our, for various different things. It was our and, hot takes, basically. Yeah. And you pick Sam Carrick as the best defensive forward for the Ducks. I mean, am I wrong? No. I, I think that you could make the argument for him. I personally like, had like Troy he, Terry. He, like, you could... I mean, probably the objective answer, and I think I even said as much, is Terry, but... if It's Terry you, or Getzloff, but it's one when, of those When two. you're thinking of, like, a defensive forward, a guy who doesn't really bring a ton offensively... Carrick fits more of that that archetype and he's been just outstanding in that role. I mean, you could even argue he's been better defensively than Getzlaff. So yeah. 
Um, yeah, you know, they, I mean, I mean, they, I think it's between they don't those play three. The same minutes. They don't have the same workload, but yeah, I think it's between those three for the best defensive forward this season. Yeah. So, I mean, you hope that he's going to be all right. You hope that it's not going to be a situation where he's dealing with this long term, but that's all we can do right now is hope. So, yep. Yep, exactly. And so we had the, the very fun game against the Flyers. That yep, was Tro- basically the, the, the San Diego goals and the Troy Terry hat trick. I mean, that's the thing. That game started off kind of like, okay, well, this is going to be uh, a bit of a, a bit of a snooze fest with the depleted roster. But then you have Troy Terry picking up a hat trick, Sonny Milano getting on the board. And just another great reminder that Troy Terry is very good. I mean, there you go, folks. There you go. Crosses the 20 goal threshold. Does he hit 50 goals? Like, no. is, like, do we, do, do we even acknowledge? Does, does he hit 40 though? I think 40 is a real oh, yeah. possibility. Well, he's on pace for more than that. He's on pace for like 47. Yeah. But we know his shooting percentage at some point is going to fall. Or maybe, maybe well, it true, for, for an entire yet. season. It, yeah. For a season, it's, it can stay up there. Yeah. So DB Lowry saying, nah, he hit 60. I mean, the thing is, he's just he just continues to play so well in all three zones, and yeah, it's just a joy to see. It's so much fun to watch, and I think the the thing that's so impressive is he's been able to do it, and he had a little bit of a rough stretch without Getzloff, but it was only for like a game or two, and I think what was so impressive was that he was still able to find some chances without Getzloff, and mm-hmm. I think that you saw that in this game, and and what like you said, Sonny Milano, Sonny Milano, I think has not gotten enough praise for the work that he's done this season. And I think that he's up there also for the most improved player. Granted, didn't play at all last year. But one thing I want to ask you about, this is something I've kind of been going back and forth on with Milano. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because I think in some ways, Dallas Akins doesn't do him a lot of favors with the way he plays him. Like at the end of last, and we'll get into this a little bit more, but at the end of last night's game, didn't play him or Zegers a lot in the final 10 minutes of that game. And mm-hmm. it feels like Milano's the first guy to kind of get shuffled around and put into to worse spots when something goes wrong. And he's kind of the, the first uh, chess piece to fall, the first pawn to fall for Dallas Aikens. Mm-hmm. But then again, on that same note, Dallas Aikens said he had a really tough sit-down conversation with Sonny Milano at the start of the year and said, we need you to be better in the defensive zone. We need you to be stronger in the defensive zone. And if not, you're just not going to make it. And... I think Milano certainly has done that and not saying that he hasn't been good in the defensive zone last year or two seasons ago. Cause he actually wasn't horrible, but there just wasn't enough sample size. But in Columbus, there's a little bit of uh, the defensive game from him that could be questioned, but he's just been excellent all over the ice. What's been so impressive from him is his ability to get back in the zone. He's typically the first guy back on the back check for that line and is really strong on stick lifts in the D zone that can help to get the puck out of the zone and transition. Yeah, well, so I guess with Milano, Dallas Higgins did move him to on a line with Getzloff and, and Terry. He did, but then he replaced him with Comtois late game. Yeah, I mean, I think Sonny Milano has been one of this team's very best players. Mm-hmm. Like, I think you can make, I think you can make a case he's been better than Zegers. Um, like, I don't even think it's crazy to say that um, because if you, I mean, if you compare Zegers and Milano's stats and their on ice impact, like it's. Not even really close. Now, of course, it's hard to separate those two guys and mm-hmm. their individual impacts because they, they've they been joined at the hip basically all season. But I think that Milano has really brought out the best in Trevor Zegers, and he's really lit him up in a, in a way that we just hadn't seen from Zegers before. And I think that for right now, 
I am willing to make the hot take that Milano is maybe more of the driver on that line. He's older, right? He's just more filled out. He's more developed and he has a very high skill level. And I think that's, that's perfect with a guy like Zegris because yeah. he, he has the physicality to kind of get around the ice with a guy like Zegris, who's not all the way developed in that respect, but he's also got the skill and the creative mind to keep up with his egress. And that, that's the important part. That is the big differentiator. That is what has been getting the ducks full value from Zegris. This is a complete tangent right now, but you know, that that's what we do here. Do you want to, I just want to, I want to say quickly Mm -hmm. this though, despite the fact that Milano's stats are better than Zegris's in terms of like the RAPM charts, I do think that these types of models tend to underrate playmakers like Zegris. Like if you look at Kaprizov, Patrick Kane, guys like that, they tend to not look as good in these models. And so anyway, just want to put that out there. Yeah. So here's a question that I keep coming back to. Should the Ducks just say screw it and load up a line and do Terry, Zegris, Milano? Uh, Well, I guess what's the trade-off there? The trade-off there is that you're losing a productive winger for Ryan Getzloff. Granted, you're going to then have Comtois and Raquel there. And yeah. Getzloff and Raquel have worked well together. Yeah, I mean, I I guess that there's like not... it, it, You're messing with something that it, it's almost like a, if it's not broke, don't fix it. But then again, they took Milano away from Zegris, so... Yeah, I think that they're really trying to get Contois going. They're really trying to work him back into that top six. True. And and look, he scored in the he scored against Detroit. Um, I still don't completely know what the future holds for Max Contois, but and I don't know if that's in the top six or if that's maybe more in like a third line, a third offensive line. But he has that scoring touch, and if he can just find a way to keep it together, he remains an interesting player. Um, so yeah, I mean that's I think that that's an interesting option, like late game if you're trailing to just load up, and then you can have yeah, Getzlaff for Cal Contois. Um, I just don't really like right now the way that the Ducks top six is set up. I don't really think there's a bad combination. Yeah. Like, I think as that's lo- the key aspect. As long here. as it's those six guys, there there and I mean I'm probably blanking on someone else right now, but there's not there's not really a bad combo in there. Yeah, and once Adam Henrique get, gets back, he can also slide right in there also. Exactly. Yep. And so I think I think we're good with the Flyers game. Do you want to touch it all on on the stuff from Thursday or we want to just uh, glide right past <laughs> well, it? Well, it ended up being a moot point, but Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Dallas Higgins told Trevor Zegers that he wasn't going to play on Thursday um against the New York Rangers or no, sorry, against the Detroit Red Wings and, you know, he had he hadn't played in over two weeks. Um, you know, was coming out of COVID protocols, so hadn't even been skating. Had been asymptomatic. Um, got in that morning skate that day, but Dallas Higgins told him you're not playing. Reportedly, I actually very publicly, the Ducks broadcast was talking about this. Zegers did not take well to that news. They had a bit of a, a match, a bit of a shouting match between the two, and I. I think I see both sides. I, I see both points from, from the involved parties here. I think that Trevor Zegers has a right to be furious because he's probably feeling, I mean, he's 20 years old, right? He's in his physical prime. The guy probably doesn't even get hangovers yet. So he's probably feeling like a million bucks. And by all accounts from previous uh, reports from Dallas Aikens, Trevor Zegers felt outstanding, didn't yeah. have any symptoms, Was seemed like he would have been ready to go right away. Yeah, so you put him on the ice that morning, and he's probably ready to go. Um, but I can also see it from the big picture of the organization, which is 
you know, he hasn't played in that long. However great he feels, there's probably a statistically higher injury risk in this game um, without the the buildup to it. So, and he is just so very important to this franchise that you don't want to uh, risk that. So I kind of like, I don't think anyone has like the wrong intentions here. I just love the fact that Dallas Higgins finally came out and said that he, he basically sees <laughs> Trevor's egress as like his child um, and, and that he had a parenting moment. And it's like, yeah, D- Dallas, you didn't have to say that. We we've yeah. kind of picked, we've we've it, kind of picked up on that. The, the, and the I last think that year. I think that was my biggest frustration with this in the moment was it felt like it was an, yet another situation of uh, uh, of Dallas Akins using the kid gloves with, with Trevor Zegers, and we've seen it so many times in the past with not wanting to put him out there in the defensive zone last year. The whole thing with taking him off the ice for any D zone draw uh, when he was playing wing and even starting him on wing and limiting his minutes and barely playing him when the Ducks have a lead even right now, barely playing him when they're tied even right now because they're trying to defend a lead. And just kind of all the little things lead up to when this happens, feeling like it's yet another moment of them treating him with kid gloves. And I think the one thing I guess from my perspective that made me feel a bit better was it didn't seem like that was the case because come Saturday's game uh, or when Saturday's game came against the Rangers, Ryan Getzloff had cleared protocols, but because he cleared that day is my assumption, they weren't going to play him for the same reasons that they weren't going to be playing Trevor Zegras. So it seems yeah. like, and the broadcast even mentioned this, that they're making it a rule where the guy has to skate one day prior to a game when coming off COVID protocol Yeah, and I think, before playing. And, and I, I think, think that that's a fair strategy, but... I think that in the moment with all of the information in front of us at that time on Thursday, it felt like it was kid gloves, but turns out it wasn't the information, uh, the initial reaction by some people, AKA me was wrong. Yeah. You had a rough day on Twitter that day. I did. I did. Whatever well, it well, is what well, it is. I think that it's, it's a defensible position from the ducks. Like even if it's in yeah. line with what we've seen from Aikens in the past, like it's probably not purely an Aikens decision. Like I think that there's probably a, a bigger organizational input than um, like, clearly they have this rule, right. For guys coming back. So I, I had a similar initial reaction to you, but I kind of quickly, I guess, simmered down and was like, okay, like I see the other side and I think the other side is pretty reasonable. Um, It's a crazy weird season. The schedule is going to get crazier and crazier. There's maybe no need to push it for this game, even though, like you're in you're in this tight playoff picture right now. Every game is really important. Um, the Red Wings are a team that conceivably you feel like you can beat. You probably want to ice your best lineup possible. Um, but because of the Ducks and all of their their onslaught of of, of positive COVID tests, that game was postponed to Sunday. So it all ended up being for naught. All of the hand wringing yeah. on Twitter ended up being completely. Uh, a waste of time, which is maybe a good lesson, right? To I mean, to... I put out the tweet that Trevor Zegers can't be scratched for a game that's not happening. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I think the NHL just realized, okay, we we want the Raymond Zegers matchup. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, do you want to say anything else about the Flyers game? Because our good friend Jessica from Beer League is in our chat, and she's like, "Can we not talk about the Ducks Flyers game at all, please?" <laughs> she's a Flyers fan for everyone out there. We'll, we'll, we'll go past it. We already talked about the Terry yeah, we'll, hat trick. We'll, we'll, we'll spare her. Um, although the second Terry goal was fantastic. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And then, I mean, as far as the Rangers game, so this was Saturday's game. 
I think that this was kind of a weird, um, I don't know how to pronounce the, the word. How do you pronounce it? Do I, do I embarrass myself? I don't even know what word you're talking about. The Rorschach test. Rorschach test. Rorschach test. Um, that's the one where it's like, okay, like you've got different. What do you see in this? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I feel like there were some people who saw the ducks worst game of the season, right? Like they just went completely limp in the second half of the game. Um, and there are other people who I would say would be more like you who looked more at the numbers and were like, yeah, they were mostly fine for the first two periods. And then just kind of, again, went limp, uh, in the third period. And so I guess what's your, having now had more time to think about it, what's your take? Well, first off, we'll, we'll get to this in a sec or more in depth on this, but Jacob Perot made his NHL debut. So congrats to him. Um, I could kind of see that coming because we got some information on Thursday that both Tracy and Perot were, and I believe the Ducks broadcast even said this, they were both set to make their NHL debuts against the Red Wings uh, on Thursday. And so, Perot got called up uh, to play on Saturday. Yeah, and um, played, that, played with Milano and Zegras, right? Yes, yes. Or no, he was did. it Raquel and Zegras? Milano and Zegras. Milano and Zegras, yeah. Um, I, and I, so he played with Milano and Zegras. Um, I, I think my my opinion on this uh, this game has kind of remained the same. The only thing that I'll kind of change slightly is I think that the first two periods were fine from the Ducks. And even the very beginning of... Uh, and I think that maybe the very beginning of the third, but not really... But the first two periods were fine. The Ducks got their chances, and I'll even throw it up on the screen right now so everyone can kind of see the the expected goals uh, flow chart. The issue for this game was really in the third period, in a tie game, the Ducks just straight up flatlined. Yeah. And they didn't generate anything for it five on five. And then it gets even worse of, of a picture when you go to all situations so you can see what happens when the power plays happen. And that's when the Rangers really kind of start separating themselves from the ducks. And that really is kind of the story of this game, because you look at the stark difference from this chart to the one that I was showing prior. It's the fact that on the power play, the Rangers really generated a lot of chances and the ducks, when they got their power plays, cause they had some, they, they still flatlined. Awful. They looked awful. And so this third period, and, and this kind of, I think goes to a bigger, bigger topic that we'll get to later. But I feel like the Ducks, when they're tied, they really kind of sit back a little bit too much. And granted, they were trailing for most of this third period, but it almost felt like indicative of that strategy there. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, Jacob Perot got benched, I think, somewhat through that third period. And now, granted, it was back-to-backs, but he didn't really play much in the third period, which I felt was odd when you're trailing a goal and you have a guy that comes up to specifically play in an offensive role to not put him out there and get him going. Well, he he, he had already scored, so no need to play anymore. True. True. Exactly. Scored an own goal, puck went in off him. And so this just felt like a weird game where the Ducks played an okay first two periods and then they got chances and they got some looks in that, especially in that second period, and they just kind of missed the net. And it's really funny because what they had 10 shots on goal for most of the game. Yeah. I mean, it was one of the mo- one of their more dismal offensive performances from a shots on goal perspective, but shot attempts actually not horrible, especially at five on five. I think they won the, the shot attempt battle at five on five. Well, that's the thing is that they, especially in the first two periods, like you could see some shifts where they were working the puck down low, getting the puck into the slot, getting some looks, but it just never kind of like fully materialized. And I feel like that's the disparity you see a little bit. I also want to note this since we're on the topic of the power play a little bit. Um, Remember in the beginning of the season, the whole like Newell Brown and Jeff Ward have reinvented the wheel narrative. 
about the Ducks power play. Mm-hmm. I'm listening. The Ducks are now 23rd in expected goals for per yeah. 60 on the power play. Like, I mean, like, here, like, do we need, do we need to revise that a little bit? No, I, yeah. Here's one thing I, one thing I want to bring up though on these games. Like they've gone from like third in the early season to like bottom tier of the league. No, I know. One thing I want to bring up with these games though, and this is, I think the tough thing when it comes to analyzing any of these games is the amount of guys out with COVID makes it tough to get an idea because the Ducks sure. didn't have Lindholm. They didn't have Gibson or they didn't have not Gibson. I meant Getzloff, but they also didn't have Gibson. Yeah. And so I, I think missing those guys really makes it harder, especially Getzloff on the power play. But the one thing that I think is a major issue for the power play right now is the reliance on Jacob Silverberg there. He He's <laughs> nothing offensively at this point in time, and he, he should be nowhere near a power play. Yeah, it's kind of painful to watch with him. Like, like yeah. Is this going to be a bold statement? I nope, not going to say it. Never mind. Never mind. Oh, ba- you were gonna, you were going to go there, weren't you? Go where? Were you going to say he's he's cooked? No, nope, nope. Oh, okay. It, I was going to bring up someone that I would rather see on a power play than him, and then I realized, nope, not true. Is that a Freudian slip by me then? That I <laughs> yeah. Here's yeah. the here's the ironic thing though, Jake. His numbers on the power play this season, RAPM wise, actually look fine. Like they, they look good. It's more so he just doesn't have the necessary offensive talent. And maybe maybe it's a situation of kind of reading off his five-on-five numbers, which mainly come from the fact that I think his hip injury have, has really caused him to not be able to get into the same position. So maybe on or, the power play, he's able maybe, to still get those get to those positions with more space. Or maybe playing with Isaac Lindstrom hasn't helped him. That too. That too, too spicy? Too maybe. spicy? There's a, lot so, of sp- there's a lot of spice to be had in the Ducks' third line. Um, so getting back to this game, though, so I, I think we're both kind of at the same point here was that this game wasn't necessarily as horrible as maybe some people would want to think it was with the the shots on goal performance. This was a two-period performance from the Ducks team, though, with an absolute uh, miserable third period that they generated barely any offense and couldn't get anything going. Yeah, and I mean, uh, they had some good... I mean, there, there were some moments for Anthony Stolarz as well. Like, it felt like he was keeping the minute. Like, I mean, the, the Rangers had 40 shots and then it all just kind of crumbled in the third period. Yeah. So, and, and so what did you think of Jacob Perot though in his debut? Um, I really don't want to go there, but <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm going to leave it. It's too mean, too mean, but okay. I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say it. So on the, on the ducks, Instagram, uh, they put out the picture of him coming out for his rookie lap you know, no bucket, which I think is great. Like, I think that's like a team thing. I know where you're going with this. And the the comments were so cruel to this poor He's 19. Like, give him a break. He's, he's starting his NHL career. And there's comments like what's with the ducks and balding players. (laughs) It's just like, guys, we need to pump the brakes here. He's going to read these. He's 19. He's Gen Z. He's going to read all this. (laughs) Um, yeah, there were some cruel comments about his hair and you know what? As a as a fellow balding man, I my heart goes out to him. I support him all the way. Um, anyway, <laughs> that, 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 that took a turn I was not expecting. <laughs> with that out of the way, um, I thought he was fine. Like I thought, like he had an opportunity to score, like actually more than once. Like he he hit a post um, off for redirect. Uh, he had some good looks. I mean, probably should have probably should have scored in this game. I mean the the two on one with I believe it was Ricard Raquel where the puck got in his backhand and he just kind of flubbed it, had a wide open cage to shoot at for the most part. Like 
probably, I mean, it's a hard play to make because you're on your backhand, but I thought that he was getting to the right spots. He was getting looks. And I thought that he was also creative in the neutral zone. There were some times where he kind of did the Zegras thing where he was handling the puck, but stopped skating and it allowed defenders to close on him and, and get, and, you know, get possession back. Um, but overall an encouraging game from him. I mean, it's, it, he's another one of those guys who I think there is a potential upshot where he becomes a top six player. There's also maybe some issues where he doesn't fully get there, but either way, I think that the ducks have a solid NHLer in him already. Yeah. And, and I think we'll, we'll get to this again with, with Tracy in a minute, but I think, as much as I'm critical of Akins for not necessarily playing him when the, the game was on the line, they really needed offense. I think he still does deserve credit for putting this guy right into an offensive yep, role and played on the power play. Yep, exactly. Unit. Yeah. So, and, and, and that's the thing. And it's kind of like what we've seen with Zegers a little bit is like when Akins goes all in on these guys, he puts them in the right position, like right away. You know, there's not too much uh, messing around. So, yeah, yeah, I think I, the I think his last shift of the game came when the Ducks were on the power play, and I think him and Raquel both jumped over the boards for the two many men on the ice call. Yeah, his last shift of the game was with like thirty seconds left. So, oh, sorry, the last meaningful shift, I guess. Okay, yeah, you're you're a little all over the place with that. A little, um, bit. but yeah, no, I thought he looked good. Um, I think that he's he's a prospect I'm really excited about because mm-hmm. I think he has that skill profile, um, a better skater than. You know, I think that we've all kind of thought about with him. He moves well. Um, There's definitely some things he's going to have to work on. Like you could see it at times. And maybe that's just lack of chemistry where he was he was overhandling or missing passes or, you know, maybe not filling the right lane. But I think over time, those things will smooth out. I guess my question for you is, do you think he's on the Ducks to start next season? Yeah. Wow. Slightly bold take. Yeah, I, I think I think he's basically ready right now from what I saw. Interesting. Like, I, I think at this point in time, he looks like he has an NHL shot. He looks like he's there. He's almost scored. Oh, he, he definitely dangerous. has. He definitely has an NHL shot. Yeah, like, he, look, he looked <laughs> dangerous. I mean, you have to put him and insulate him a little bit there, but I, I think yeah. he can be dangerous. I mean, that line on the whole, let me. They dominated. Their, they, they were absolutely dominant. And yeah. so that's why some people were kind of wondering, why would you split up Raquel or take Raquel off that line? when um when that when Raquel had worked so well for that line on the whole but I mean the reason you do it is to try to get an offensive guy in a good spot and I mean Sonny Milano at 82 percent expected goals four percentage Jacob Pro at 79 percent expected goals four percentage Trevor Zegers at 73 percent expected goals four percentage so they were really good uh in this game and um, really didn't have any offense come against them when they were on the ice and so they they were one of the few i mean they were one of the few lines through the through the early going that actually had offensive zone time like yeah. where they actually had a cycle going highlight of the game though is trevor zegers trying the flying z again yeah 100 does, does it count as does it count as a flying z attempt though because there was no shot that that was going to work like like I think it was Milano that was in front. Or I was it per- no, it was Perot, right. but I think he's just putting it there because Perot's there and he's hoping maybe it will land. I, I, th- I, think I, don't- was, I think he was just hoping for a bounce. Like, I don't think yeah. he was actually trying the flying Z. Well, I think all. he's just putting the puck in front of the net and seeing what happens. I mean, it's no different yeah. than taking a shot from a bad angle. Yeah, well, because like after the game, you know, there was that quote from, from Yorgiev, the, the Rangers goalie, and I guess someone asked him. Oh, I missed him, this. Well, they asked him like, oh, were you, 
you know, were you happy with that you were able to block Zegris's attempt? And he was like, yeah, you know, it's something that we're prepared for that we, we, we saw it coming, blah, blah. And it's like, I don't even think that he was trying for that. Like, I think you guys are just taking this kind of, you're, you're trying to claim this W that's not really there. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, I think that this, this game again, uh, it was, it was a, an interesting roar, Rorschach. 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 I don't know. Why, why do you keep saying this? Uh, we also should say that uh, Bo Grew um, may, came back into the lineup uh, oh. in this game for the Ducks. Uh, oh, he played? <laughs> really? Uh, he played six minutes. He played? No way. I'm going to have to go back and check. I, 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 did not, I did not see that. I was huh. told he was... He was anyway, let, let's, let's carry on. Okay. Let, let's carry on. <laughs> okay. Before I before I lose lose some before I hurt the game, there you go there you go. Moving oh, yeah. on. Oh yeah. By the way, by the way, this is really dumb that I even air this, but I tweeted sarcastically, like obviously sarcastically, that Trevor Zegers, like I I put after the Zegers like flip attempt, I was like, oh Trevor Zegers hurting the game, yet again. SMH, like obviously a joke, and someone replied to me like, no he isn't. I'm just like. Oh my god. Like do you actually think that I think this? How dumb. How dumb do you have to be? Anyway. I just had to hear that. So make sure when Felix says a sarcastic <laughs> comment to reply like, to him like, seriously. Guys, like, guys, I am on please, your side here. Please your please side. reply to him seriously. It will make him so happy. This podcast is just becoming like my 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 therapy for for hockey, I think. Anyway, <laughs> moving on to Sunday's game against the Red Wings. So, um, fun game. Yes. So fun basically, Jake, Jacob Perot was sent back down. Uh, that would have been three and three for him, including one or back to back NHL games. So I believe the plan all along was to not have him play in this game and have Braden Tracy. The only issue with that was Braden Tracy played Friday and Saturday for the goals. So this was three and three for Braden Tracy. But uh, Tracy was called up. Uh, and put right into the lineup. Ryan Getzloff returned to the lineup also, and Lucas Stostel made his yeah. NHL, de- NHL debut. This was a really fun game because I feel like there was a lot. There was just a lot of like fun moments, right? You had yeah. First, first off, you had Trevor Zegers with a really nice uh, power play marker. I really like the the passing kind of interplay between him, Fowler, and Raquel on yep. that play because you could see that they were really trying to get the best shot possible. Like they had opportunities to shoot before that Zegers uh, one timer and they didn't. And I think that that's like more than anything on a power play, you can talk about scheme, but talent is what trumps everything. And when you have a Zegers and a Fowler and a Raquel just going to work, like you're going to get good results. And that's what happened there. Um, And then, you know, Troy Terry getting on the board, um, (laughs) the only one who thought he had scored in that moment. How does yeah. this keep happening for the Ducks, by the way? I don't is know. That's like the second time in a in a week or a week and a half. Something like that. And then, I mean, maybe this, not the story. Also, be- great, great, free, great feed from Sonny Milano there on that yeah. goal. I mean, that's what he does best. Yep. Hit, hit guys in the slot. Also, Ryan Getzloff returning to the lineup, uh, which is a big for the Ducks. But I think the second biggest story of this game, to me, was Max Contois getting his first goal of the season. Yep. Like, I, w- I I wasn't listening, um, but apparently there was a reference to Max Contois' confidence a- after that goal, and how he's he's looking like a more confident player. Um, <laughs> I will I'll just say this: um, it's possible for guys to score 
just because they're playing better, like just because they're making better decisions uh, or they're just getting luckier. It doesn't have to be this like uh, psychological examination every time. Anyway, mm-hmm. here's one thing though on that goal. I mean, it was a nice play by Contois to drive the net. I mean, I think that that's what he's going to have to yeah. continue to do. But the assist by Ricard Raquel, I don't yeah. know if you, I don't know if you've looked back at it or if you saw it, mm-hmm. um, or if you watched the game even. But I, I, I did watch the game. Don't worry. <laughs> but the the between the legs one touch and then the pass right on to Contois tape. I mean, that's the kind of playmaking that we haven't really seen a lot of Ricard from Ricard Raquel in the last I don't know year. I feel yeah, like there was haven't. a time where he was more of a playmaker type, and then you know when he eventually got paired with. Ryan Getzlaff, that's where he became more of a finisher. Mm-hmm. But he's got that to his game. And um, do you now reconsider trading him, Jake? No. <laughs> no, my opinion has remained the same completely on it. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's it's a wonderful play from, from Ricard Raquel. Trevor Zegers gets a secondary assist on it. So he then yep. had two points on that uh, uh, in yep. the night. Uh, Lucas Raymond had only one point on the night. So Trevor Zegers wins the Calder Bowl. Yeah, M- Mo Sider only had one. Uh, yeah. assist. So yeah, Trevor Zegers outduels uh, Raymond and Cider. Yep. So nice little nugget there. But the story of the night to me, by a mile, like not even close, is Lucas Dostal. I mean, he looked fantastic. He looked very excellent. He looked so compact in his movements. He looked like he was able to see the puck almost every time and being able to really get strong pushes. I think the only goal that maybe wasn't the best one for him to allow was probably the third goal. Yeah. There was a slight tip in front by Kevin Shaddenkirk. And that's one where you want to see him push into that shot. So even if it gets tipped, it's not able to necessarily find a hole. And, and so I think that's my only complaint, but he looked excellent. He looked like he was square to the puck. Um, and yeah, he, he was really, really good and kind of exactly what he had been hyped up to be. I mean, Kat Silverman, we had on the pod, what was that year and a half ago now? Something like yeah, that. It was pre, really, was a pre 2021 season. Yeah, yeah. Was a big fan of Lucas Jostel and yeah, uh, really hyped him up. Kind of weird because like the GSAX on the to- on the night is not actually that good for him. He's actually a negative 0.13, but that's you know, right around uh, break even. So it's well, not I like- mean, for a 21 year old kid to come in and be break even in his NHL debut, that is actually something to still like kind of be. Awesome yeah. By. And I think that they're, you know, in such a small sample, you give a little weight to the, to the eye test as well. And just like, is the process sound? And like, he's kind of like the anti Gibson to me where Gibson yeah. is so reliant on making the first save and, you know, kind of, trying to react into the second save. Whereas Dostal is because he doesn't have that elite athleticism and, and is not quite as rangy as a Gibson or a Stolarz, he has to be way smarter and way more tactical with when he's pushing out, how far he's pushing out, um, all those different things. And you can tell that on top of being a good athlete, he's also, I mean, I think he has a high like hockey sense and it's kind of a hard thing to really quantify for a goalie, but he was just playing some scenarios where he looked like a veteran. I mean, there's like, you know, there was a play where there was a, a puck in the corner on his right. So he's hugging the post on his blocker side and the puck comes out to the top of the circle and he just perfectly pushes out from his post to the top of the crease and makes a save, gobbles it up, no rebound. And although that maybe have looked routine, it's pretty hard because if you over push off of that post, Maybe you're off your angle, you get scored on short side, 
or if you make the initial save, but then cough up a rebound, you know, it goes flying out and then maybe it's a goal or another chance. So just little things like that. I thought he did so well. And it goes to show once again, the people that were harping on his size, uh, you know, all the way through seeing how that's like a limitation, just stop, stop with the size thing. No more six one. Well, he might not be six one, but regardless, it doesn't matter. Wow! Now you're questioning the the measurements. Well, you know, hockey height. Like ah. I, I, I acknowledge that there's some fudging of the numbers with that. Fair enough. Fair enough. But, he, fair but enough. even if let's say he's six one, right? Like that's not short. I wish I was six yeah. one. Um, yeah. and so like let's just stop with the size thing. Let's just grade the guys on like literally how well do they stop the puck? I'm pretty sure that's the only metric that matters. And, and there was that excellent stretch from him in, in, in overtime where Terry and oh. Raquel and Drysdale were stuck on the ice for like over two minutes. And Dostal made just some amazing saves there. Yeah, it's funny because like, you know, I grew up as like a goalie fan. Like that's what kind of got me into playing hockey was being a goalie because all my favorite players when I was a kid were goalies. And so I haven't really geeked out on goalies in a long time because I don't know. It's just like kind of moved on from that. But watching this new this new player, this prospect kind of brought me back to that a little bit, kind of like nerding out on the technique, seeing a different style. Um, it was just cool. And I think I don't it's just one game that possibly means nothing. Right. But yeah, it, it, it is kind of interesting to think about now if you want to extrapolate it further with Gibson and his contract. And what do you do if Dostal does become a guy who's potentially an NHL starter? Um, I guess there's some questions there. Yeah, definitely. One hundred percent. And the Ducks ended up getting the win in this game in the shootout. Um, and One game. I mean, what a, what a way to win your first NHL game. Yeah, exactly. Like, like to have like, to come up huge in three like, on three overtime. Like, like you get you get put through the absolute ringer. You got to survive three on three. You got to survive a depleted roster a little bit. You got to survive the shootout. I mean, just like a really cool moment for Lucas Del Stahl. Yeah, and, and he even said like after the game that when he was giving out the stick as the third star of the game, he he had tears coming down his face because I mean it's an emotional moment and yeah, it's nice to hear a guy be honest about that honestly. Yeah, and and, and, and goaltending is not the same as it's 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 you're playing a different sport really when you're a yeah. goalie and you have to hold it together for the entire stretch. Like you know, as, as a skater, you can have a bad shift, you go back to the bench, you know, you have a drink of water and and that's it. Um, but as a goalie, if you make a mistake, it's a goal against, and there's not, you, you, you can try to shake it off, but it's a lot more difficult. So much more mentally challenging from that perspective. So to see him come in with the, with the relative inexperience and turn in what looked to me like a great performance, maybe the stats don't agree. I think it's just a really cool story. Yep, exactly. And so a couple kind of big picture items from this past week that I want to ask you about. Before okay. we get into the rumors and then eventually some questions, unless you have anything else on the, the Red Wings game that you want to touch on. Um, I feel like there was one thing. Oh, I mean, Braden Tracy played in this game. Certainly played, certainly wore a sweater. Yeah. Don't the, really know. This definitely felt like them giving him a game because the, he was going to play against the Red Wings on Thursday. Yeah. And this was three and three. And so they gave him a couple shifts in the first and second period and then let him ride the bench. Here's what I will say. There's been a lot of hype with Braden Tracy this season, and deservedly so. I mean, he's been racking up points in the AHL. Like, he's earning it. Um, but I am not ready to make the heel turn that he is all of a sudden this this revived prospect. Wrestling? Until I, 
until I see it in the NHL. Why why would he be making a heel turn? I, I don't know. I think I'm saying that like literally. Like I'm not ready to just pivot. I'm not ready to make a oh, 180. Wait, are you gonna make a heel turn? I feel like that's a baby face turn for you. I, I legitimately don't know what you're saying right now. Exactly, which is why it's great. All right, back to the no, back no, no, to but, what but, I was hold on, hold on. I just want to say that Tracy hype, you can have it for now, but it's AHL hype. I need to see it at the at the NHL level before I'm ready to to make a heel turn. <laughs> Baby face turn to make a baby faced uh, heel uh, turn. Yeah, there, there you go. Arrest All right, turn. so here's my big, my my big big picture question for you. A couple of them. Okay. Is it concerning at all for you that over this past week the Ducks were on the negative side of or below fifty percent of the expected goals for percentage in every single game at forty one percent against the Flyers, forty seven percent against the Rangers, forty eight percent against the Red Wings. I think slightly. I think if you look at like their rolling charts um, in terms of their expected goals for percentage, like they're trending downward uh, and it's kind of been a, a building thing and it does make you ask a little bit, like what's the issue? I still circle back though, to the fact that the rosters are so all over the place right now. So depleted, the schedule is hectic. I'm not ready to say that this team is truly in a funk until they have their team for a, yep. a significant stretch. So yep. kind of, but not really is my answer. Yep. I agree completely. My other thing is this really put into focus for me against the Red Wings, uh, a late game strategy for the ducks. And it really kind of, it really popped in my head because of the broadcast. Honestly, I know we give them crap a lot, but they mentioned that, the Ducks have played the most uh, overtime games out of any team in the league. Yeah. And it feels like that is almost by design from Dallas Aikens because wasn't it that they mentioned that they lost the most one-goal uh, one games last year or they were in the most one-goal games last year or something like that? I feel like that was a conversation. And so I feel like when games are tied or even when the Ducks, I mean, it's the same strategy when they're leading by one. I feel like the strategy is to just put out guys to try to get the game to overtime to get the guaranteed point. So here's my and counter. and, here, and then try to counter. Uh-huh. Here, here's my different way of looking at this. How many where do they rank in terms of blown leads in the third period? Because I don't know if they're getting to overtime by design. I think that by design they're trying to coast to the finish line or just tighten the game and eke out the win. But by doing so, they're actually hemorrhaging shots and chances against, and well, that's what's getting them to overtime. Yes, I, 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 I don't agree. think they're getting to overtime I, so, because they actually want to. So I think that it's two different things here. I think the overtime is a product of how they're playing, but just not something that they actually so, want to be happening. I, I think that's a fair comment about when they're leading. When they're tied, though. Sure, sure. When they're tied, and that's more so what but I'm wondering still stop here. playing. That, right? That's well, but I think it's also a coaching strategy. And I think that because yes. how many times have we now seen late in games, one minute left tie game who goes out Isaac Lundestrom and Jack, Jacob Silverberg and yeah, whoever and they, they have on their they way get, and they get skewered alive. Like, well, like, they, they, they go out for an offensive zone draw with like a minute left in the game. And it's just like, what are we doing here? Right? Like mm-hmm. put out like Trevor's egress. And I just feel like Trevor's egress and maybe this is us, uh, Someone said Trevor Zegers paranoia about his ice time. And sure, maybe it's that. But it's just simply bringing up a fact that he doesn't play in tie games. Like when the game is tied, especially tied and it's late, he's not a guy that sees the ice at all, really. And and it 
to me, that really puts into focus, or he doesn't see it that much, that puts into focus the the thought that the Ducks aren't trying to win these games. They're trying to get them to overtime to get the guaranteed point. And while, yes, that is, I think, a decent enough strategy from a points accumulation standpoint in the regular season, that type of strategy is not a long-term strategy for success, not only in the league, but in the playoffs also. Yeah, so I have... I have some thoughts about that. I think that they are playing this way maybe to eke out the points because that's what the incentive is, just the way that the standings are structured. Yep. But I also think that this is just an assessment of the players involved. I think that they see Isaac Lindstrom and Jakob Silverberg as better options when the game is in the balance than a Trevor Zegras or or a Sonny Milano. I mean, the numbers don't lie. Isaac Lindstrom has more ice time when the game is tied this season than Trevor Zegras. Like, that is a fact. Um, so that should tell you that when the game is tied, when things are tight, Dallas Aiken sees specific players as safer, quote-unquote, than others. And the reality, though, is that when that is happening, the opposite of what he views as these players are is, is what ends up being the case, right? So... He sees Lundestrom as the safer guy, sees the Silverberg as the safer guy, but it ends up being the opposite. They end up getting outplayed. They end up getting scored on. I mean, in tied situations, right? Isaac They're Lundestrom. They're like 20. Well, in tied situations, the Ducks are 24th in the league in expected goals for uh, percentage. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you just compare their numbers when, when they're tied, I mean, get this. Isaac Lundestrom, when the game is tied at five on five, expected goals for percentage, 39.6%. Like the Ducks are getting caved in when he's on the ice, when the game is is in the balance, same thing with Silverberg, 40%. Like it isn't working. Like whatever the assessment is on these guys, maybe it's the way they're being asked to play. Maybe they're being asked to play more in a, in a shell where you're just sitting back and trying not to give up a chance. You're giving up too much offense in the process. You're taking too much value off the table and it's working against you. We've talked about this in the past. This is nothing new. Now compared yep. to Trevor Zegers, when the game is tied 59% expect the goals for percentage. Like, I wouldn't really argue for him to be like this guy who should be playing all the minutes when you're tied, but like at least keep him in the normal rotation. Like don't go out of your way. Yeah. Don't, and don't, it, don't, don't try to reinvent the wheel. And when, I think when the score changes, I think that's my biggest thing here is like, I get it. If you want to just keep rolling your lines, but if you shorten your bench to just two lines, when you're tied in a game in the last 10 minutes, it just doesn't make sense to me why you would do that and leave one of your best offensive lines on the bench. Because at the end of the game last night, what they ended up doing was they would roll, they would roll out Lundestrom, Silverberg, Delorier, Comtois, Getzloff, Terry. Yeah. And bench Milano, bench, uh, bench Zegris. And it's just, I don't know. It, it just doesn't make sense I mean, to me. I mean, the, the numbers are so hilarious on this. And this is all per natural stat trick. But if you look at the expected goals for and against per 60 at 5 on 5 when tied, Isaac Lindstrom, 1.8. Trevor Zegers, this is goals for. Trevor Zegers, 3.1. Like, we're talking almost double, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then expected goals against. Like, this is the kicker to me. Isaac Lindstrom, 2.8. Trevor Zegers, 2.2. Like, not only is Trevor Zegers better offensively, but he's better defensively. Like, there's no argument for this strategy. Mm -hmm. Give yep. it up. Throw yep. it out the window. Agreed. Crumple it up. Yep. So, when they're tied, I mean, here's here's where I fall on all this. Play your best players the most minutes. Yeah. I, or just don't 
try to ch- like don't completely change your game plan to the scoreboard. That's also true. Also I think true. If, I think if you just keep playing, like if you're leading or if it's tied, you're probably playing decently well. So just keep playing that way. Like I acknowledge that Lundestrom's numbers might not look the same because of the way he's being asked to play, but the results are what they are, and we can't dismiss that out of hand either. So. Yep. All right, on to the final topic before we get to questions. Uh, Jacob Chikram rumors. So yeah, you're, you're all over that. This is your we had, moment. We had mentioned the. I had mentioned him months ago. Not probably not months ago. Maybe months ago. I don't know. Who knows? As being a potential target for the Ducks, and oh. it was mentioned by Jeff Merrick on the weekend on the Thirty Two Thoughts I think segment on Hockey Night in Canada that teams are checking in on him and the teams and. He views the package as being potentially very similar to what Brett Burns got from Minnesota, which was at the time Devin Setaguchi, uh, Charlie Coyle, and a first-round pick from the Sharks. Mm-hmm. And he said the teams that he could see matching that, and not necessarily teams that he knows are involved, teams that uh, really uh, jump off the page at him as teams that could be involved based upon either them liking Jacob Chikrin or their situation are the Ducks, the Kings, and the Blues. And also based upon what they have within their system. Mm-hmm. And so supposedly the Kings have always have long had interest in getting Chikrin. The Ducks with the Lindholm situation could go and then also the Blues. And so, I mean, looking at the numbers, Jacob Chikrin, if you look at uh, the uh, Jay Fresh's charts for this season or the ones that include this season in them, they don't look as great as if you exclude this season. I think part of that is due to just how bad the Coyotes have been. But yeah. Chikrin is an excellent player, 20, uh, 23 years old right now, going to be 24. Um, I think you have to move Hampus Lindholm before you get Jacob Chikrin from the perspective of you want to use what you get for Hampus Lindholm in the deal. And also, if you do get a Jacob Chikrin, you cannot, I don't think you can't, you can have Lindholm still on the team because, I mean, is Jacob Chikrin a third pairing defenseman? No, and Cam Fowler's not going anywhere. Yeah. So there's your, there's your case. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's the thing with Chikrin to me that makes him appealing outside of the on ice is just kind of the package deal with the contract. Like the fact that he, you can kind of neatly fit him in to, to kind of this team's timeline, right? It, it's a very, it's like a light version of the Eichel situation and why Eichel made sense for the ducks because you could just kind of, fit him right into this team's upswing and you're not really gonna you're, you're not gonna impede this team's process uh, progress long term so yeah i mean it's there's gonna be some moving that's gonna have to happen to get him in yeah but it, but it would be interesting i mean ideally you would want to get a first round pick uh, take your first round pick that you either get for lindholm manson or raquel who knows what you end up getting but well, you the should du- get the, the ducks first round pick this year is not going to be that and not not as enticing as in the past but correct it's still a first round pick correct but you can or you can definitely either use a first round pick that you get or replace your own with one that you trade for um and and so uh yeah this is a situation where the ducks uh really need to make a move before doing this but if it ends up being let's say comtois perot and a first would you do that Ooh, um man that is tough. Maybe I'm maybe I'm my Perot bias is showing. Uh, I mean, realistically, if you can still hold on to because you're assuming that you have another first, right? That first you're shipping out is basically a wash. Um, I mean, to me, the only thing you're really giving up there is Perot because I think Contois, as much potential I think he might have, 
there's also some limitations. So I could talk myself into that. It's not like a yep. slam dunk yes, but it's I there's a comfortable yes to be had there. Yep. I'm, assu- I'm assuming you would do it. Yeah, I would do it. Okay. Okay. All right. So let's get in some questions. So we've got some questions from our uh, Discord. So we'll start with that with podcast quest- podcast questions from there. Darko Theory asks us, how concerning are the pres- uh, persistent issues with penalties, specifically late in games? Uh, I mean, yeah, don't take penalties. I don't yeah. know. I haven't really dived into the, the topic, but don't take penalties. Yep. <laughs> I don't know. Yep. And uh, Marty said, what do you guys see as the ceiling, uh, uh, see at the ceiling or think the ceiling is for Dostal based on his body of work so far? I mean, the ceiling is an NHL starter, like, yeah. a, like a, a good NHL starter. Yeah. Right? I don't think he's like a top five goal in the league type of no. guy, but he is a legit NHL starter. But and I think he, he could have some really elite seasons like mixed in. Yeah. I, I think that's in, in the range for him. Yep. Olaf is berserker asks if the organization decides to lean into the season and buy for a playoff run, which you and I both agree would be a very bad decision. What are the needs needs slash areas where they add? I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. It's the, it's the bottom six forwards. Like the, the, the forward depth is a big drawback of this team's current competitiveness. They need more offense from the non Zegris, non gets line. If you were to implement a good third line, and drop Lundestrom and Silverberg to be a fourth line, I think that that would be the biggest thing for this team. Yeah, if you just had like a quality NHL, like veteran third line, like just kind of your your late 20s, early 30s guys who are just good right now for like a playoff run. Um, yeah, that, that would make this team a lot more resilient because you see it in these games. Like if, and this is something I wrote about in our, in our round table, like, or no, actually not. And this was for another site, but wow. So, someone asked me, someone asked me like, what if the ducks don't make the playoffs or like, if they struggle down the stretch, what will be the reason? And I said, if they get a drop off from the, from their top six, like if Terry's pace really falls off, if Zegers hits a bit of a slump, like they're in trouble because they have gotten nothing from their bottom six. And I mean, yeah, we've, we've sung, uh, Carrick's praises, but he's really on an island in that bottom six. So, yes, if if you're gonna lean into the season, and like that's the thing, you could probably, if you want to have a little bit of fun with this year, you could probably get yourself a little, you know, a, a rental for your third line at not that high of a cost. Like you might be able to, you might be able to 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 have the best of both worlds here. Maybe. It depends on the cost, but well, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, yep. you're not you're not giving up a second, you're not giving up a first. Mm-mm. But if you can get like you know an undervalued guy for a third or a fourth, that's that's probably fine. Here's a question on the the chicken thing. Going back to that, because why not? You're that, just obsessed. Well, because that is a you're buy. Obsessed. That that is the buy. That is the move that is a rebuild and buy move all so, at the someone, same time. Someone get Jake a a, a, a chicken uh, wild jersey. jersey. Wild uh, uh, he, that would actually be amazing. Uh, great <laughs> idea. Great idea. Um, no. So one thing that was brought up actually on him was that he, that Jeff Merrick thinks the coyotes are potentially going to want to get a goalie back for him, a prospect uh-huh. goalie. Would you do Dostal in a deal for him? I mean, that's a hard question because I think Dostal gives you the flexibility of potentially trading John Gibson down the line. Mm-hmm. Now I've been on the record saying that I think goalies are probably more replaceable than 
we acknowledge. So maybe I'm being a little bit inconsistent here. Um, I just and does the value of Dostal go down by the fact that John Gibson is locked up long term here? Um, as as what, in his value you, within the Ducks organization, because well, to when me, his, John Gibson, his value is that you can trade Gibson and not feel as bad about it. Fair, like like that's his value. But you have to actually trade Gibson for that value to be fully realized. So it's a tough one. Like I think that the flip side of that coin is if you if you trade Lucas Dostal. You still have John Gibson. He's still locked up. Assuming he's just average for the next, the remainder of his contract, then you're fine. Uh, mm-hmm. And you have Jacob Chikrin. And maybe this isn't even a, a debate, really. So I think there's a fine case to make that trade. I, I wouldn't feel yep. awesome about it because I kind of just like this idea of having the goalie in the wings to to make uh, a Gibson expendable. But... You got to you got to improve your actual roster at some point, and this is a way of doing mm-hmm. that. Yep, exactly. All right, so uh, time for questions from Twitch. So for those of you on YouTube, yes, we're on YouTube, YouTube.com/slash/CrashPond, where you can like and subscribe to our videos. Uh, hit that notification bell to get uh, notification whenever uh, the video gets posted. You can see all the charts I put on the screen and everything like that. Or if you're on your uh, one of your favorite podcast services. Uh, the real fun thing is our Twitch stream. Our Twitch stream goes live each and every Monday night at 8 p.m. where you can interact with us as we go along in the Twitch chat, interact with other people also in the Twitch chat. And with Amazon Prime, you get one free Twitch Prime gaming sub each and every month. You do have to hit that subscribe button after 30 days. And you can be just like Bionic Chris, who resubbed for 15 months. And Olaf is Berserker, gifted a sub to Austin Price 529. So for anyone in the Twitch stream, throw your questions in the chat uh, and we will start getting to them as we go along. Austin Price uh, 529 said, do you think the new GM will have the discretion to hire their own coach or the Ducks gar- or will the Ducks guarantee that Aikens remains the head coach? Sorry, can, can you repeat the question? I was scrolling through our Twitch chat because I haven't actually looked at it yet. And I'm loving the amount of uh, Discord references. Apples and oranges. You oh, I miss that. that. You hate that. Um, sorry, repeat the question. Do please. you think the new GM will have disc- the discretion to hire their own coach or the Ducks or will the Ducks guarantee that Aikens remains the head coach? I think absolutely. I mean, that's part, that's gotta be a stipulation if you're the hire, right? Like you mm-hmm. gotta, you gotta have like, if you're going to hire me to build your team, you gotta let me build your team. I can't be forced to have this coach, right? That would be insane by the Samuelis if they told their new hire who they're going through this great wide net process of, of looking for to ultimately tell them, no, you have to have this particular coach. Yep. Um, I mean, and it could still end up being Aikens, by the way. But I do think that there's nothing wrong with seeing what's out there. I mean, we we know Aikens is not perfect by any means. Yep. Uh, Zen is eight. I mean, this is going to be a question we just get every time, but, uh, do you think any of Manson, Silverberg, Raquel get traded for young players slash pick this year? Yes. I'm going all three. Silverberg? Silverberg. Oh, so, oh, I, I, yep. I thought that, I think I'm just so used to that being Lindholm. Uh, Silverberg does not get dealt. There's no way. No one takes on that deal. Yeah. And also he's just, he hasn't done anything to kind of boost his value so someone asked me about this and oh no it's for a patreon the patron episode <laughs> patreon episode no i i'm getting everything confused because someone asked us about buying out silverberg so that's something we'll talk about i guess on the patreon episode whenever we record that weather th- uh this week um it's supposed to be last night yeah chargers game really threw chargers, us for a loop chargers S- had to just kind of jerk us around basically sj hawking with a good question how do the ducks replace lindholm if it's not with chikrin 
If it's not Chikrin, uh, I don't know. I mean, that's maybe the argument for Chikrin, right? Uh, because I, if you if you don't have Lindholm, your left side is basically Fowler, uh, Mahura if he comes back. I mean, it's it's kind of it, I mean, you have Simon Benoit. It's not really that exciting. So maybe this is why you have to do the Chikrin yeah, deal. Now you get why. Well, I don't know. I think that it depends on the cost. The cost is the key. True. Um, Zenas eight said question, or let's start with this. Rex Azar said, Terry over under 45 goals over, over. I'm going to go over. I'm done shorting Troy Terry. I'm done. Not betting on him. I'm going all in. Yep. Uh, Zenas eight said, uh, apples and oranges, which is your favorite. So I'm going to go apples just because yes, it is apples to oranges. So not a perfect comparison, but, um, Apples have more versatility. I feel like with oranges, what do you have? Naval, Valencia. Um, <laughs> I think I've named all the orange types. I know. I'm going to go with oranges because they're better. Wow. Wow. Okay. Okay. I mean, that's certainly a take that I don't know if I fully agree with, but I think is potentially defensible. I will say this. Orange juice is better than apple juice. Freshly squeezed orange juice. Apple juice is not good. Well, the worst part about apple juice is that the the like you know the the purely like artificial what is it treetop is that the is that the brand treetop orange juice or apple juice? Mots. Oh, oh there's no, also, there's there is treetops. Yeah, you're right. Like that stuff is crack. Like I could drink a gallon of that. It's it's too good. That's the problem. Um, but freshly squeezed orange juice is excellent. Although I will say this, made some over the weekend, and got serious heartburn from it. So that wasn't great. Um, might, wow. need to wa- might need to watch how much I gulp down. Much- yeah, p- pace yourself there. <laughs> yeah, I was I was down bad for about an hour. It wasn't great. I, I also had other stomach issues from my my protein shake, so I was there- just I was hurting. There you go. Um, let's see. Uh, uh, DB Lowry asked question: How are Lacombe and other Ducks D prospects doing? So I'm just kind of looking because I haven't checked in, in a little bit, but. I mean, uh, Henry Thrun has 14 points in 13 games. I mean, this is the hard thing is it's all a point analysis. So who knows what that yeah. actually is? I, I'm going to be completely honest. I haven't watched them um, in their NCAA game. So can't really talk a lot. I think I saw that uh, Lacombe. Yeah, let's see. Lacombe has nine points in 20 games, all assists. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to say. Yep. Uh, Lewis X29 says, does Anthony Stolars get traded this deadline? Uh, let's see. Is, is he a pending UFA? Let's I'll double check that real um, quick. You no, know, he has one more year on his contract. So I, I mean, say no. I think for the Ducks, it doesn't make sense to trade him. Like he's a cheap, yeah. fine backup. Like why would you like it? That seems like <laughs> that seems like an undervalued commodity in the NHL right now. Is like just good, good goalies. Like look at the Edmonton Oilers. Um, yep. So I, I would say just hang on to him. Yep. Uh, Austin Price, 529. Why can't the Ducks just extend Lindholm? They have plenty of cap space. Uh, I think the problem with that is that with Lindholm, you're not like you're not going to get the full value of that deal. You're overpaying basically for all the years where he was underpaid. You're 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 making up for lost time and he is going to decline over the course of that contract. And by the end of it, you're going to be in the situation that you've seen, you know, with Henrik and Silverberg 
and other players where it becomes a, yeah where it becomes Perry a, where it becomes an anchor and I think that with Lindholm like he has a he doesn't have a great injury history like I just don't really know if it makes sense to kind of spend that big contract that big because you only have so many of those cards to play and I don't know if he's the guy that you do and, it on. And you don't necessarily, sure, they have the cap space now, and this is one thing I keep harping on, is that sure, they have the cap space right now, but that doesn't necessarily mean that in three to four years, halfway through this deal, if it's an eight-year deal, that they're still going to have the cap space for him because Trevor Zegers is going to need a new deal and be on potentially his third deal by then. Jamie Drysdale, same thing. Troy Terry's going to need a new deal. Like, yeah. it's all it's all fun and dandy right now that they have the cap space now, but over the course of that next deal for Lindholm, all these guys are going to need new contracts and they're going to be in their prime years as Lindholm's exit is prime years and is overpaid. I mean, it's the same thing with Jacob Silverberg right now. It's the fact that he's getting paid like he's a, a top six winger and he is not that. He's a at best third line winger right now, probably closer to a fourth line winger. I mean, Jacob Silverberg right now, what would you say if I told, or how do you feel by me saying this? He currently is the highest paid forward for the Ducks on their active roster. Uh, yeah, he's not, he's not, uh, giving them full value on yeah. that, on that investment. And like, yeah. that's the thing. It's, it's a product of the system and the way mm-hmm. that the payment structure and- is set up in the NHL. Like it's not, I'm not trying to blame these players for like no, robbing, take robbing. the money they can get. Yeah. Like it, it's like they get underpaid up front and they get it back on the back end. Like that's just how these things are. That's how this has been set up. But so, that's that the thing. And here's the important part here. That's changing. Yes, it player, is. Younger players are getting more and more money. And so you don't want to be the team that has given a bunch of money to older players to where they can't pay their younger players. So their younger players hold out and potentially get offer sheeted from other teams. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, the summer of 2023, like don't look now, but summer of 2023, Troy Terry, Trevor Zegris, and Jamie Drysdale, all RFAs. <laughs> like that Zegris deal is going to, I mean, it's going to be the Hughes deal, right? Like it's yeah. gonna be it's gonna be a massive extension unless yep. they go bridge on him. Terry, I don't know what he's gonna ask for, but assuming he has another great season, which he probably I mean, will. Home twelve potentially also RFA that summer, depending on how he progresses. Yeah, like the ducks, like yeah, the cap space is good now, but keep in mind this is not a permanent thing. And you've no. got to be very cautious. And so I'm not against making a big investment. But I just don't think Hampus Lindholm is the guy to do that with. And the other thing, and this is the key aspect also of this, is it takes two to tango. We don't know how Hampus Lindholm is feeling, if he wants to stay, where he's at, what he wants from uh, money-wise, term, anything like that. Bold, unsubstantiated take. I think he fully wants to test the market. Yeah, I, I think so also. Because if you remember, Lindholm was the guy who, when he got this current deal, said, I need to not take less than I'm worth. And I want to get what I'm worth, not only for myself, but for other people. And so I guarantee that he's someone that wants to know what he's worth on the open market. And here's the thing. If he is not signed to an extension, you cannot run the risk of him leaving for nothing. Like you just can't. Like even if he signs on July 1 for the Ducks, I think that's still not a risk worth taking. Like you need to trade him at the deadline if he is not signed to an extension. I don't think they should give him an extension, but I think there's an argument that you could make for it. But if he is not signed to an extension, he has to be moved. Plain yeah. and simple. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't blame him. Like, go get that, go oh, get yeah. that money. Oh, yeah. But, it, it, like, for the Ducks, you've got to cover yourself. 
Yeah. And it and it doesn't make sense to to ride this thing out and potentially come out empty handed. Like he's just not the guy you do that for. No. I, I'm sorry. It, it, well, and this isn't the year to do that either. It's the Ducks aren't a cup contender right now. No. They're just not. Like if the Ducks were the best team in the league and their options were to wait it out on Lindholm or things like that, then you can make the argument he's your own rental. Yeah. That's just not where the Ducks are at right now. That's not where they're at in their contending window. Nope. Um, Zenazay asked us, uh, question, do we ever see Cody Coran? <laughs> I'm going to go with no. Yeah, I think it's a no at this point. I mean, I mean, the hopeful side of me wants to say yes, but like the, the Ducks have had so many opportunities to do so, and they just haven't. I mean, good for him, though, that all the while he's making a bunch of money. So that's nice. Yeah. Making a million bucks this year. There you go. The, playing the HL. Goons never said die. Have you even ever had an... Uh, Jake, have you even ever had an apple crumble before? I'm assuming that's like an apple pie or something like that. Uh, yes, apple pies or, or apple whatever they are are delicious, no doubt. But that is like a treat made with apples that has sugar and cinnamon and all this other stuff. I'm simply talking about the pure fruit of apples versus oranges, not things that you can make with them. And Look, there, oranges no, are better. There's no orange pie. That should say everything in this debate. <laughs> there's orange sherbet. Let me ask you this, though. What is your favorite apple if you are to choose one? Because there's some Fuji, options here. I guess. Fuji. Hmm. I don't know. I think Granny Smith is still the elite god tier. I'm not an apple enthusiast where I actually even know all the different types. Well, I've I've had kicks where I eat apples for like weeks on end, like an apple a day, literally. And I just get tired of certain types. So I, I have to rotate them out. Green apples are delicious. Although candy apples, amazing. I mean, here's my here's my power ranking. If I'm gonna if I'm gonna power rank uh Wow apples, Granny Smith is like a far and away number one. Should we like, save this for the Patreon? No, this is going to be quick. I have the chart in front of me. Uh, number two is Fuji, I think. Number three is probably a tie. It's a, it's a three-way tie, which is a no two-way tie. Honeycrisp and McIntosh. And then after that, it's just everyone else. I think Golden Delicious Wait, is sub-tier. Say that again? McIntosh? Is that the wrong? Is it Macintosh? Isn't it Macintosh? Isn't that why the brand is called Macintosh? Well, it's MC. It's not MAC. Oh, I don't know. Okay. So I, I see that as Macintosh, but maybe I'm wrong. Spell maybe. it. It's M-C-I-N-T-O-S-H. How do you say McDonald's or how do you spell McDonald's? Well, that's the thing. You say Mick. You don't say Mac. You don't, you don't say McDonald's, do you? <laughs> that's fair, fair point. Touche. Touche. Yeah. Touche. No. Touché. I mean, but I mean, Macintosh sounds better. I, I acknowledge that. I think it's McIntosh. I'm seeing some some feedback in the chat here. Don't know if it's in my favor or not. But yeah, no. Gran- Granny Smith is is goat goat god tier. Wow, wow. <laughs> there, um, are ba- there are Tre- bad Granny Smiths though. Trevor Z goat Z goat saying, should the Ducks make the Rally Monkey a thing like the Angels, like a team? I love pet? that. I love that. I that felt was bad great. for the. I felt bad for the monkey. Why? I don't know. Well, because he's just being used as like a, a circus act. <laughs> yes, exactly. With the I diaper mean, I'm, on. I'm sure they treat it well. 100%. Like, I'm sure that there's some some ethical standards that have to be met here. Yeah. Um, Trevor Zigo also asking, <laughs> how much uh, do the ducks get out of Gibby? If Wait, they what have we, what have we butchered pronouncing? Is it, Mc, is it 
is it McIntosh or is what, it what, McIntosh? Wait, wait, DB Lauer. Wow, what that else? is a wow, what that else? is a shot. It's definitely <laughs> McIntosh. Well, shit. I'm seeing some Mac, some Mac feedback. Okay, I'm I'm happy that I called you out on it. Then I feel like by the letter of the law, by the English language grammar rules, it would be McIntosh. I don't. I think that MC can go Mick or Mac. Either way, I, I think the Mac is just what people have decided they want to call this. But I I think it would be McIntosh. No, everyone Mac. is telling you you're wrong. I mean, and, everyone and, is and, like three people. And DB Lowry is slandering you. All right, in a, me, in a way. DB Lowry is slandering you in a way that will hurt you very badly. All right. I'm just going to look it up. How to pronounce McIntosh. This is very simple. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. McIntosh. Mac- Here. I-, I guess I had it wrong. You know, we can all hold L's. I think one of the greatest abilities of anyone is to be able to acknowledge when you are incorrect. So are you I, now going to completely or continue to say McIntosh for I the rest appear, of the eternity of, of this podcast and pronounce appear, it wrong I, the whole time? I appear to be incorrect, so I will acknowledge that there's some room for correction here. <laughs> okay, ba- ba- back to the point. Damn, I feel I feel like I just got... Ex- I, I got got. You did. I just... Sometimes you get got. It happens. I just, I just like that there were shots fired at you in a way that will hurt you badly. Uh, I haven't seen those. Oh, DB Lowry just throwing fire. Uh, <laughs> how much do the Ducks get out of Gibby if they trade him this offseason? Uh, probably a lot. Yeah, like right, like he's still in a, a top tier starter. I would say, um, maybe not top tier, but he's still like seen as a top tier starter. Um, he's playing really well right now. I don't see any reason why he doesn't get a pretty significant return. Yep. And then to Trevor Ziegert was asking about contract stuff. Yes. Terry, Comtois, uh, Zegris, Drysdale, all up the same summer. I just want to point out that I love the name Trevor Zegert because it makes me think of the game Goat Simulator, which is actually a thing. You can simulate being a goat. Like that's that's funny. Have you started playing it yet? No, I've been I've been on uh, Flight Simulator. There you go. Uh, do you think, if available, the Ducks uh, should offer sheet or try to trade for Patrick Line? <laughs> We're still on the Line thing. I don't know. It's from Trevor Zigo. Uh, no, I think the Line ship has sailed. Okay. I think there was a point in time where the Ducks wanted Patrick Line, and it didn't happen. And I don't know if they circle back. Yeah. Uh, Zen is eight, by the way. Just completely uh, throwing you under the bus. Thing. I've gone to actual apple orchards, and they call it Macintosh. Well, shit. Well, hey, maybe that was just a regional thing. Maybe they have it wrong. You don't know why. Why would that orchard? Or I thought, I thought you said you were gonna hold the L. No, but I, I, I think now you're you, doubling down. No, this isn't a doubling down. This, this, this is a double down. No, this is just like you. You can't. That's like saying, okay, my my friend tried this diet and it worked. Therefore, this diet must work for everyone, right? Like, it's possible that an apple orchard. What what's the name of an apple orchard person? An orchard an orchardist? I don't know. It's possible that they may yet mispronounce the type of apple. Like it's possible. So I wouldn't I wouldn't use that as cold hard evidence. That now wait, I have it wrong. If we ever get to to talk to uh, Mason McTavish again, we need to say. I, by the it, way, I by the way, am fully acknowledging that I pronounce it wrong. I just should, for the record. Should, for the should record. we ask McTavish if it's Mick or Mac? McTavish. I mean, we don't say McTavish, do we? Because it's an MC, 
right? I think everyone has it wrong on on this this McIntosh scenario. I think I think they've got it wrong. <laughs> I keep you keep saying you're not going to double down. I'm not you, doubling down. Now you're like I've, tripling down. Well, I just want to show that there's a reasonable basis for why I'm pronouncing it that way. Like it's not completely out of left field. Like it's not like saying Zegris or something like that. <laughs> Lewis X two and I said, "Will Felix get a goat simulator or get goat simulator?" Well, first I'm going to get Farm Simulator before I get Goat Simulator. I think that far, uh, Farm Simulator. These these all sound uh, like they can be taken in a very weird way. Yeah, well, I think uh, Flight Simulator is hard, man. Flying a plane turns out it's not easy. I'm kind of I'm kind of like bummed out. All right, let, let's end with this question: Who's the most likely to get a bridge deal from the 2023 RFA class you mentioned? Ooh. Could it be Contois? Could it be Contois? No, it's going to be his third deal. Mm, okay. I don't think it... Well, how many years would that take him? How I mean, many more? It feels like this season is going to end up being a bit of a wash for him. And then what's going to happen next year? So does he kind of want to do, do the same dance again and just hope that like there's more you know normalcy? He has a couple good seasons. I mean, is a three-year deal a bridge for him? I mean, if it takes him to UFA, that's what I'm thinking. I I could see him wanting a bridge to get to UFA. Yeah, or the Ducks could bridge so that it's the year before he's a UFA. I think Troy Terry signs his UFA deal basically in 2023. I think he gets locked up long term. Right? Sorry, say that again. I think Troy Terry signs what would be seen as like a UFA type deal. I think Terry Zegers. Drysdale all sign UFA type. Like deals. I think Terry Zegris and Drysdale become lifetime ducks in 2023. Agree Wait. or disagree? Agree. Um, r- real quick, how do you? What is the proper way to say Solani? It's I say Solani. Okay. Why is there some discussion about we all pronounce Solani wrong all these years from Zena's eight? Solane, sell on any. Who says Solan any? What? Solani. That's like what oh, like Solani. Can- yeah, well Canadians like, say that. Well, it's like people say Getzlaff versus Getzloff. The and, weird and thing is, is that the du- I think Steve Carroll says like Getzlaff. Yeah. Or says it. There, yeah. There's there's like disagreement on this within the Ducks. And I think Ryan Getzlaff says Getzloff. Or does he I I've heard him say both. I think he just strikes me as a guy who just does not give a shit. <laughs> is this an Eakins Aiken situation all over again? Look, you know my stance on that. I don't need to repeat it. I, I just I've already I've already had to go to bat for like enough niche points today. I'm not gonna go down that one. I think it's time that we end this thing. We're at an over an hour and a half in. Yeah, it's we're digging some graves here. Especially we? you. Especially we? you. We I've said nothing wrong. I've everything I've said. You can you can fact check it. You can you can analyze it. Sure, Mister McIntosh. Hey, I said that's the incorrect pronunciation. I just said it's not like there's a reason why I pronounce it that way, and I think that reason isn't crazy. So that's all I said. Like that's that's a really like benign argument for me. <laughs> all right, I think it's time to to land this ship. Yeah, I mean, landing in flight simulator is really hard. By the way, I've crashed many a plane already. Anyway, <laughs> on that note, thank you everybody for listening. If you have made it through the last 20 minutes, seriously, like I applaud you. Uh, we appreciate you. 
Uh, hopefully everybody's new year is going great. Hopefully you're sticking to those resolutions and that you're making it through. Now, if you have enjoyed the show, if you have enjoyed uh, today's episode or the last however many episodes you've listened to, there are definitely a few ways to support us that are going to help us keep this ship moving. Uh, the number one way is with our Patreon page, patreon.com slash crash the pond. We have two tiers of support for a dollar a month. Uh, you have access to our patrons only discord chat, which is where basically you get to join what I think is the most, the best ducks community on the internet. Uh, you get to interact with some diehard ducks fans, people that just want to have a good time that just want to discuss the team in a way that isn't toxic. Like you'll find on social media, um, and where you don't, you're not limited to talking about the ducks. You can talk about the league as a whole. You can talk about other sports. We had a bit of a reaction thread going on to the, the chargers game last night. We have a food channel where you can get some of these spicy food takes. Um, truly one of the best places. Shout out to everyone in there. You, you um, forgot to mention one of the best channels in all of the discord, which is the wrestling channel. Oh, I actively avoid that. So I, I, well, actually I <laughs> No, you don't. <laughs> So for everyone that that is out there wondering, which is probably zero people, um, I'll just throw this out there. My new way of trolling the wrestling channel, because that's really what I do. I don't actually want to engage in it, is I try to throw in a take about wrestling that might seem like it's coming from me, when in reality, I'm just cutting and pasting random people's tweets and putting them in. And Lewis in our chat, Lewis has he, the... he, he figured it out. And he, legitimately, after I post them, he just he, he puts the exact tweet from just some random person with like four followers. Because I'll just type in like Orange Cassidy or whatever his name is. And then just whatever pops up, I'll just cut and paste that into the... The chat. It's pretty funny. I mean, it's it's funny to maybe four people at most, but it, it brings me some joy. And that's what the Discord does. It brings people joy. I think that that's, uh, that's something we can all hang our hats on. So that's for $1 a month. Now, for $5 a month, you get access to two bonus episodes on top of the actual uh, Discord chat. So we go deeper there into different Ducks topics. Uh, we look more at like the big picture stuff that we maybe don't have as much time to talk about when we're trying to get through all the, the latest news on the regular show, we'll also do more league wide stuff, rankings. That's probably my favorite part of that show is when we do our rankings, or when we pick the awards winners and we'll also just maybe go completely off topic, talk about shows, talk about video games, talk about stuff that uh, unfiltered. We just don't have the, the, the bandwidth to do on the regular show book of Boba Fett, by the way, we're two episodes in are we're, we're not, we don't have enough material yet to get a full on Jake, 30 minutes straight of explaining every episode on the Patreon pod, but we're going to get there. That was so much fun on the Mandalorian. That, that's the thing that happens. So anyway, that's for $5 a month. And if you truly love the podcast, you can also pledge to us $15 a month. Um, previously, this was a tier where we offered the um, watch along. Now, just for full transparency, it's something that we're retiring for now. Um, it's just wasn't something that we were able to provide at a level where we felt like we were giving you guys the full value. You can still pledge at that tier just if you really want to support us, but just full disclosure, we're no longer offering the watch along. So all of that you can find at patreon.com slash crash the pond. Now, if you don't want to pledge any money, that's totally understandable. Totally fine. You can still support us in some great ways. If you search Crash the Pond on Apple Podcasts. You can leave us a rating and a review, and those go a long way. They help the show grow. They help us get noticed. They help us just keep the lights on, essentially. And 
There's so much fun. We don't have any new ones to read this week, but when you do post it, we will read it on the show and we will have a blast doing it. Now, I guess there was an earthquake right now. Really? I guess. Monica <laughs> just came in telling me there was an earthquake. Well, that's in Long Beach. New- Newport is a safe harbor. Um, <laughs> One point. Oh, nope. That's from uh, four hours ago. Never mind. Maybe Monica just was shaking. Who knows? Maybe. Um, um, okay. So you can also find us on Spotify if you're not on Apple Podcasts. So subscribe to us there. Um, you can also find us on YouTube, youtube.com slash crash the pond. You can get the video version of the show. You can see all our silly faces. You can see Salem the Black Cat invading Jake's space. You can see my really cool and unique background. You can see Jake's bobblehead and Funko Pop collection. That's all on YouTube. You can also see where we post the charts in our Twitch stream. So it's a lot of fun. Check that out. And outside of that, make sure to check out our website, crashthepond.com. We've got an article up, the Writer Roundtable, which was a ton of fun to do. It's uh, a few days old now, but still pretty relevant. I mean, it's just our takes from the, the early part of the season so far. Definitely a big shout out to that guy, Bobski. He was the one that uh, spearheaded it and got everyone on board. And shout out to everyone who contributed because I think the the diversity of not only opinions, but writing styles makes for a fun read um and outside of that you can find us on twitter at crash the pond crash the pond on facebook jake is on twitter at rainier games 91 be nice to him please show show jake some love in 2022 don't 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 ruin jake's day in 2022 um oh, on, also on, uh go defend feel go defend cj from all the rangers fans <laughs> yeah i saw that <laughs> holy crap i i was like full disclosure i, I saw cj's text this morning and i was like ah oh, it's just you know, CJ's kind of trumping this up. There's no way this is actually that big of a deal. And then I go look <laughs> and it's like, oh boy, it's the replies yeah. are just vicious. Um, anyway, so uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Felix underscore Sicard. I have made the drastic move of turning off my notifications from Twitter. So I don't look at replies anymore. I don't look at likes and retweets when I'm like on my computer, but still you can DM me if you want to hit me up there. So anyway, with all that being said, Have a great week, everybody, and we will talk to you at the next show. Have a good one. Bye.